like to look at just a few thoughts that I hope and I pray will be an encouragement to you and will be a fuel to you as you go out into this world this week in shining your light for Jesus. And so tonight we're going to begin by just looking at a very few passages here uh, in the book of John chapter 4. Specifically, let's begin looking at John 4. And would you read with me in verse 5? So Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. We'll stop there at the end of verse 14 of John chapter 4. Now, as we settle into this story for a few minutes tonight, as I said, there are so many applications that we might make from this. And I would like to begin with just settling your mind into this story that you know so well by taking a wide aperture view, looking at a few broad lessons that we can take out of this. And I'll ask you to put your spiritual rewind on for just a moment, just back to the, to the month of October. From this very pulpit, Brother Edwin Crozier stood before us talking about discipleship, and he taught a very powerful lesson from this story, saying this encounter of Jesus, this encounter of Jesus with a Samaritan woman is a wonderful example, a pattern for you and I about how we go about making disciples. You might remember that. He told us that when we think about going to make disciples, we can look no further than this passage and be reminded of what you and I should be doing each day on our journey of working to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. For example, he said, let's follow the example that Jesus had. Let's make God's work our spiritual food. Now, he derives that from looking down just a bit in verse 34 of this same passage when Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And Brother Crozier reminded us that if we embody the thought that each day we go about our work, each day we go about our lives, that we're looking for an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, we are making God's work our food, and that's the first step. That's the first step in our journey of making disciples. But we're also reminded from this example of Jesus that we need to be very good at making personal connections. We see that with Jesus, making a personal connection here with this woman. He comes up for a drink, she comes up to draw water, and through this very casual day-to-day -day encounter, he makes a personal connection with her 
As you read John chapter 4, you see that connection begin to unfold. And so when we think about going and making disciples, we think about the fact that we need to make God's work our food. We need to think about how do we make those personal connections. And then we were reminded back in October, and what we see here in John chapter 4, yet a third way that we can make disciples, and that is to start spiritual conversations. Jesus took this opportunity with this woman at this very historic well and began to enter into a spiritual conversation through this casual discussion about having a drink and how it is that you and I can think about that same pattern day in and day out, whether you're at the water cooler at work, whether you're at the lunchroom at school, whether you're at the grocery store, wherever you find yourself. How do we make those personal connections? How do we start those spiritual conversations? And then we also see something here in this example, and Brother Crozier reminded of this back in September, that in order to make disciples, we also need to tell the truth. Now, I stopped at the end of verse 14, but if you continue, you see where Jesus was quite truthful with this woman. And again, if you're familiar with this story, you know this well, but let's just skip ahead very quickly and look at verse 16. For Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And verse 17 says, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This is what you have said truly. Somewhat of an uncomfortable situation. The woman has to disclose that, no, she doesn't just have one husband. And Jesus says, no, you, you, you don't just have one. You have five, and the one that you're with is not yours. And so he was very truthful with her. And so as we just settle into this, into this book for a moment, into this chapter, into this story, and we take this wide aperture view, we take away just a quick, a quick lesson here of what mindset should we have as we go about our day in making disciples. We, we make God's work, our spiritual food. We make spiritual connections. We try to start spiritual conversations. And we tell the truth about God's work, and that's how we go about making disciples. But I would also ask you to think about this morning, as we look at this wide view of this story and take some applications out at the very beginning, I think there's some other things that we see here as well. I think there's something that's just a little bit more personal for us here. It's easy to look at this story and to begin to kind of go through the mental academic checklist of well, let's see now, there's, there's this dynamic of the, uh, 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 of the uh, Jews and the Samaritans here. Jesus is a Jew, the woman's a Samaritan. We know they don't get along well, so we check that off on our mind about this story. And we see Jesus, a man, talking to a woman who we know culturally did not happen and was not looked upon favorably, and so we kind of check that off on our mind. And then we think about the fact that Jesus asks her for a drink, and we know in our mind that if he takes the drink, he's going to be ceremonially unclean by taking it from a Samaritan. And we start to go through the mental exercise of this story, checking off all of those academic aspects of this story, and think about this encounter that goes on, and then we move on. But I would suggest to you tonight, as we look at this story and we think about it from a wide lens, uh, this story is a little bit more personal, a little bit more applicable than sometimes we like to think. Let's start with this woman. I would say to you tonight that this woman is a representation of how your life and how my life is at times. I don't think that we're stretching it at all to say that this woman's life was a mess. 
We just read some verses that talked about some very messy relationships she's had. Five husbands and the one she's with now is not her husband. We have a story here of a woman who has made some bad choices, who has some bad judgment. Perhaps a woman who's not content and has continued to look for happiness and to continue to look for fulfillment in relationship after relationship after relationship. And it's a messy life. And if we're honest with ourselves, can we not say that that's sometimes like us as well? Maybe not under the same circumstances, maybe not under the same storyline, but still messy. Do we have troubles and problems with content? Are we looking for ways to satisfy and fulfill ourselves in this life? I just need the next project at work. I need the next title at work. I need the, the next paycheck. I need the newer car. I need the better couch. I need the bigger house. If I can just get and fill in the blank, we, we're in that pursuit. And sometimes in that pursuit, perhaps like this woman, we make some bad choices and we make some bad decisions and we make some bad judgment and we find ourselves with a very messy life. And so we see that here in this woman as we come to this story, a woman with a messy life, perhaps not that far off from what you and I may find ourselves in from time to time. But as we think about this, we also see a life forever changed. As we see this messy life that comes to Jesus and this encounter that takes place at the well, we see a, a life that is forever changed. How powerful that is. We see the fact that Jesus is unfazed by this messy life. He is unfazed by this woman who uh, has made bad judgments and who has sin in her life and who has who has. Uh, some outcomes from those bad decisions that are, are quite dramatic. In his eyes, no one is too far gone. He has purpose for each of us, and he's willing to connect and have a relationship with us despite what we may have done in the past. And we begin to see that here at this well where this encounter takes place. And we see Jesus with this woman who has a messy life making a disciple. And we see a life that is forever changed in this story as you continue to read through the book of John chapter 4. But we also see a disciple here, uh, or a soul I should say, that is compelled to share the story with others. She comes to this well of messy life. She encounters Jesus who goes about making a disciple of her and she then is compelled to share that story. Now we didn't read that, but you continue reading uh, in uh, this passage in verse 28, it tells us that the woman left her water jar after this encounter with Jesus and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And it was so powerful what she did. We look at verse 39 and it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. And so when we look at this wide-angle lens of this story, we see a woman who came to that well with a messy life. We see Jesus going about his business of doing his father's work and making a disciple, and we see a soul now compelled to go share this good news she dropped her jar and ran back and began 
to herself make disciples. And when I think about that story, I think about some other passages that we see that are similar to that. You might be reminded of 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, where these leprous men came into the enemy camp to only find that God had cleared the enemy camp, and they had the entire city to themselves. They had the entire spoil. They had all the food in a time of a famine. And 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9 says, We are not doing the right thing. This is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent about it. And they were compelled to go share that good news with others about what they had found. Or you might recall in Mark chapter 5, verse 19, the demon-possessed man, when he had been cleansed of those demons, it says that he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And so we see, as we look at this story and get settled into it tonight, we see an example of how to make disciples. We see a representation of a messy life, much like yours and I and mine from time to time. We see here a vivid picture of a life changed forever by Jesus being caring and compassionate and patient with this life. And we see a soul that is impacted by Jesus and so compelled to go out and share the good news with others. And so we need no go further than that just to realize that there's a powerful, powerful story being told here in John chapter 4. But I would like to take that wide lens for just the very few minutes that we have left tonight and narrow it just a bit. And I would like to get just a little bit deeper with you on just one verse from this passage, and that is verse 10. Go back and with me again and just look at what verse 10 tells us for just one moment. She says to Jesus, how is it that you ask me for a drink? And Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. There are three things from verse 10 that I would like to highlight for you tonight that hopefully will be helpful for you, that hopefully will, will be encouraging to you, that hopefully will help you in your consideration of your relationship with God and think about your relationship as you move throughout this week to come. Can I ask you to look at the very first thing with me? Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God, and I want to focus just a moment on this concept of the gift of God and specifically on the concept as God the giver. Jesus says to this woman, let me tell you about the gift of God, which implies that God is giving something. There's a concept here that Jesus wants the woman to understand and a concept that I think God wants you and I to understand as well from this inspired story in John chapter 4. God, the giver. God, the creator. God, who is all holy. God, who is just. God almighty. God all-knowing is a giver. And his word proclaims that over and over and over. Psalm chapter 29, verse 11, God gives strength. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, God gives the desires of your heart. Psalm chapter 84, verse 11, God gives grace and glory. Psalm chapter 85, verse 12, God gives what is good. 
In Romans chapter 15, verse 5, he gives perseverance. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, he gives life to all things. And I can go on and on probably for the rest of the hour with passages that talk about our God who is a giver. Because there's three things I want you to think about in terms of this concept as God the giver tonight. First of all, I want you to think with me about the fact that God gives more than we deserve. Why is that? Why is it that our God gives us more than we deserve? Well, I would offer a few reasons for you. First of all, because he is our caring father. Listen to the words that Paul uses when he writes to the brethren at Ephesus in chapter 1 and verse 5. God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose of his will. Why does God give us more than we deserve? Because He has adopted us for Himself. He is our caring Father. He wants a relationship with us, and as such, He wants to give to you, and He wants to give to me, and He does so more than we ever deserve. Why else does God give us more than we deserve? Because He wants to. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 is a passage I think it points us to that. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of Him? Matthew says you can be a bad parent and still give good gifts to your children, but what about God, perfect God, the Creator of all things? He, will He not give you even more and give you what is great and more than you deserve. And why else does God give more than we deserve? Because He is our provider. Psalm chapter 23, you know that very well. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Why shall we not want? Because our God, our God gives. And our God gives us more than we deserve. But I would also offer to you tonight as we think about God the giver, not only does He give us more than we deserve, but He gives us more than we deserve. Can comprehend. We have our moments of selfishness. We have our moments of sitting back and saying, God, why aren't you giving me something? We find ourselves in situations of life and we ask ourselves, why? Why am I in this predicament? Why do I find myself in this situation? Why do I have this challenge? Why do I have this trial? And sometimes we're asking, God, why aren't you giving me enough? But I think that if we're all truthful with ourselves, we realize that in actuality, God gives us more than we can comprehend. It is hard to fathom a God so good, a God so great, a God so mighty, a God so powerful who is looking at you and looking at me and gives to us over and over again. Job said it well, I believe, in Job chapter 11 and verse 7. He said, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than show. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Who can know the deep things of God? God gives us more than we can possibly comprehend. Paul 
wrote something similar to the brethren at Ephesus in chapter 3. In verse 20, when he said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus of all generations forever and ever. He can do far more abundantly than we ask or think. I think that says it well. God gives more than we can comprehend. But is that encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well takes place, and Jesus is answering the question, and he says to this woman, I want you to know about God the giver. I want you to know that God gives more than you deserve, and I want you to know that God gives more than you can comprehend. I would also say to you that the message that Jesus was offering this woman at, Samarit, at the Samaritan well is that God gives because he loves. God gives because he loves. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. We think about the love that our God has, that he, has, he is dwelling with us. He is dwelling in our midst because of his love, because of his regard for you and me. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, so we are. In Psalm chapter 86, verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 1 John chapter 4, and verse 19, We love because He first loved us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And again, I can go on and on and on tonight with passages that are reminding us that God gives. He gives more than we deserve. He gives more than we can comprehend. And he does so because he loves and perhaps a passage, for me at least, that stands out and amplifies this message more than any comes from the book of James chapter 1. Perhaps you'd like to turn there for just a moment. This might be a place where maybe you would underline if you're an underliner of your Bible. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, we find the following. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, our minds tend to go to that first part of that verse in verse 16. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And that fits right into our theme of, and our message here and the message that Jesus has given to the Samaritan woman that God gives. But I would ask you to look at the latter part of this in verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits. Now, time does not allow me tonight to go into this, but I would encourage you to perhaps give some thought and some time into the study to the fact that God calls us to be the first fruits of his creature. The concept of first fruits 
derives from God's creation work. Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 tells us that God created everything and everything that exists belongs to Him. And this concept of first fruits is mentioned well over 30 times in the Bible and it originates back in Exodus chapter 23 verse 16 when God's people are told to celebrate the festival of the harvest and that they are to bring God the best of their harvest, the first fruits, if you will, of their harvest. And from that thread on, we see this concept of a first fruits being the best to be offered. And so when we think about this passage, we see that God is saying, I want to give because I want you to be my first fruits. I want you to be the best of my creation because I love you. And that's why I want to give to you. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, But we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And so we're reminded here that our God gives because He loves. He wants you and He wants me as his first fruits, the chosen, the best of his creation. So at Jacob's well in the desert land of Samaria, a woman says to Jesus, why do you ask me for a drink? And Jesus, making a disciple, starts a spiritual conversation, and he says, I want you to know about God, God the giver. I want you to know about God the giver who gives you more than you deserve, I want you to know about God, the giver, who gives more than you can comprehend. You, woman at Samaria, I want you to know about a God who gives because he loves. But Jesus continues in verse 10 of John chapter 4. And he also wants the woman to know something about not only God, the giver, but Christ, the gift. And there's two things that I would offer to you tonight about this concept of Christ, the gift. I would offer to you that Christ is the gift that God most wanted to give. Every one of you likely can recite John chapter 3, verse 16. But does that passage not amplify this thought more than any passage that you might turn to? For God so loved the world that he gave, because our God gives. He gives more than you deserve, more than you can comprehend. Because he loves, God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Powerful, powerful thought of what Jesus is sharing with this woman at the well. I want you to know about my God who is a giver and I want you to know about me, Jesus, who is the gift because Christ is the gift that God most wanted to give. But as you think about that powerful thought, I want you to also think about the fact that Christ is the gift that we most need. And that's what Jesus wanted the Samaritan woman to see. 
We have watered down in this society the concept of sin so dramatically that we don't even think about it at times as a people in general. Sin is just a joke. It's just, uh, just something we push aside. And anyone who stands up to try to uphold God's truth and to take a line on sin is villainized today. But would you just for a moment with me try to push all those worldly thoughts out about sin and go back to the biblical thought about what sin is? That sin separates us from this God who is a giver. A God who we just said gives you more than you deserve and more than you can comprehend and because He loves you. And the greatest gift that He wanted to give you is His Son, Jesus, because He loves you. And yet sin separates us from God the giver and Christ the gift. It puts us into a state of hopelessness. A hopelessness in that we have no chance of having a relationship with God Almighty when we find ourselves in sin. We are impure. We are lost. We are like where we started this story a few minutes ago, a life that is full of messes, bad judgments, bad decisions, seeking fulfillment where fulfillment will never come. And it's such a horrible place to be away from God who wishes to give. And again, there are so many passages that we could go to tonight to highlight this. Let me just share a couple of them that amplify how significant this separation is. Micah chapter 3, verse 4. Then they will cry out to the Lord but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from there at that time because they've practiced evil deeds. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and futile because you are still in your sins. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 33, the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And there are so many other passages that we could go to. But need we say more? Micah says, He will hide his face from you. Isaiah says, He has hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Paul said in Corinthians that your faith is futile because you're still in your sins. Moses said in Exodus, God says, I'll blot you out of my book. Those are descriptive about the fact that in sin, we have no hope. In sin, we are not with God, the giver. But Christ, who is the gift that God most wanted to give is the gift you and I most need because of this sin. And how powerful it is when we think about what Jesus has done for us. If you've not done so, I would encourage you, if you're not in the building blocks lessons, to go back to the month of September where Jason and that series takes us through salvation and how powerful the concept is of what Jesus and his life and death and blood shed upon the cross means for you and I. But from that we see 
this great gift that we most need, that Jesus dying upon that cross redeemed us of our sin. In other words, he bought us from the bondage of sin. He freed us from the bondage of sin so that we can have that relationship with him. And we see with Jesus' death upon the cross and his blood was shed that we've been reconciled. That which was crooked has been made straight, you might say. Our lives which are a mess have been made unmessy because we are back with God. He has reconciled us. That our God who put Jesus upon the cross as a gift to you and I and his blood which was shed sanctifies you and me. That we are cleansed, that we are made holy, that we are freed from those sins, that we might be separate and set apart. That you and I might be justified of our sins. And so when we think about what Jesus was saying to the woman at the well, he says, I want you to know about my God who is a giver. He gives you more than you deserve. He gives you more than you can comprehend. He gives because he loves. And the gift that he most wanted to give is his son Jesus. And he's the gift that we most needed because of our sins. We sometimes sing a hymn, Do You Know My Jesus? And I think these words are so endearing to this concept of this gift that we most need. Have you a heart that's weary, tending a load of care? Are you a soul that's seeking rest from the burden you bear? Who knows your disappointments, who hears each time you cry, who understands your heartaches, who dries the tears from your eyes? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend? Have you heard he loves you? He'll bide with you until the end. Christ is the gift that God most wanted to give to you and I. And he is the gift that we most need. But as this story continues at the well with Jesus and the Samaritan, there's a third part of this story. After he talks about God who gives and Christ is the gift, he also talks about living water. The Holy Spirit is the living water, which I'll share with you that in just a moment. In fact, let's do that now. John chapter 7. When you look here in John chapter 4, Jesus says, I will, in verse 10, give me a drink. Uh, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. We know something about that living water by going over to John chapter 7 for just a moment. And in John chapter 7, we read the following in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow the rivers of living water. The same concept that he had with the woman at the well here in John chapter 4. Now he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. As Jesus went to the cross, as Jesus died on the cross, as Jesus was raised from the dead, as Jesus ascended back to heaven, the promise that we have from God the giver and Christ the gift is that we will receive the Holy Spirit. Or as Jesus is saying to the woman here at the Samaritan well, the living water. 
And so it would do us well for just a moment to think about what he meant by that, that I will give you living water. What is it that we get from that living water? What is it that we get from the Spirit? Well, the Spirit transforms us because once we've received the gift of Jesus and we are redeemed and we're reconciled and we're sanctified and we are justified, we then begin a process of transformation. That's what Paul's writing in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that we every day become more and more like Jesus. And that's what the Spirit does for us. The Spirit, that living water, helps us transform to be more and more like Jesus every day. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says it this way, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, we studied that this morning in building blocks, but the fruit of the what? The Spirit, the living water, is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, the transformation comes from the living waters, the Spirit that is transforming us to be more and more like Jesus every day. Jesus at that woman, with that woman at the well says, the living waters will transform you from this messy life that you find yourself in into the life that God wants you to have. The life as it was meant to be for you. But we also see as we read God's word that the spirit matures us. There are a number of passages that we could look at. Let me just give you just two or three you might want to jot down. In John chapter 16, Verses 7 and 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, or the Spirit, or the living water will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, we're in a process of continuing to mature as God's people and to understand his word and to be convicted of his word so that we avoid the sin that is around us. John chapter 14, verse 26 says it similarly. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit was there to mature those that have followed after Jesus. And perhaps a passage that we know best that indicates this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That spirit has inspired the scriptures which helps mature you and me. And then I should say that we also learn from scripture that the spirit advocates for us. What a wonderful thought it is to know that that living water, that spirit is advocating for us on our behalf with God every day. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, we read the following. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches the hearts and knows the minds of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus says to this woman, you can have the living water. This living water, the Spirit, will transform you. It will mature you. It will advocate for you.
And so as we step back for just a moment and we look at this powerful story of this interaction of Jesus and the woman at the well, they're at a historic place, Jacob's well. It's an unlikely encounter between a Jew and a Samaritan, between a man and a woman, between the Savior and a, frankly, a nobody in terms of society's view. It's a life that's messy. It's a life that's full of problems. And yet, we see an example of a disciple being made and a life changed forever. And it is done because Jesus, in verse 10, says to this woman, God, God gives. He gives you more, more than you can deserve. He gives you more than you can comprehend. He gives you all of this because he loves you. And he loves you so much that he's given you Christ as the gift. And this gift is exactly what God most wanted to give to you and me. And it just so happens that it is the gift that you and I most need in our life. And that if you believe in God the giver and you believe in Christ the gift, then you can have the living water. And I think it's important to understand that there's a context between that living water. It's not a stagnant water. It is a water that is living and active and with us to transform us, to mature us, to advocate for us. And as such, a disciple is made. And we've already read what happens. The woman drops her jar and proceeds to tell all about this encounter because she understands. As we draw this to a conclusion, there's three words in chapter 10, or chapter 4, verse 10, that I would offer to you are extremely important. And that's how Jesus started his answer. We've talked at length about God the giver, Christ the gift, the living water. But he starts off the answer by saying, if you knew the gift of God. As he encountered this woman, she did not know. She was ignorant of all of this. And I love the way that the text is outlined and the original text and the original language is outlined because what Jesus is basically saying, if you knew and once you knew, you're going to do something about it because you're going to be so compelled by God the giver, Christ the gift, and the living water that you are going to take action. It's an absolute. You'll drop all. You will do what needs to be done if you know. And that word know is so important. You truly comprehend what that means in your life. And you know, it's not too far off from a parable that we read in Matthew chapter 13, this concept that we read in these three words here. If you knew, and you'll want the living water, he says. And it's exactly what we read in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44 when Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. And then in verse 45, if that wasn't enough amplification, he gives yet another analogy and says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. 
Jesus is saying here, if you find a field and it has a treasure in it, and that treasure is so great that you are so compelled to have that treasure that you will do anything to get it. You'll sell all that you have. You'll buy the field. You'll procure, procure the field, and then you have the treasure. Or you're in search of the pearl, and you're going from ship port to ship port to find the pearl, and you find that pearl of great price. You're going to do all. You're going to sell everything that you have, and you're going to buy it. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you knew, if you truly knew God, the giver, Christ, the gift, then you're going to want that holy water, and you're going to take that holy water, and you're not going to walk away from it because it's that powerful. And so when we think about this encounter of a life changed, it brings... It brings the question to you and me tonight. If you knew God, the giver, more than you deserve, more than you can comprehend, God giving because he loves you, because he wants you as his first fruits, He loved you so much that he gave you the gift he most wanted to give, and it was the gift that hurt him the most. His son, who gave up his place in heaven to come to that cross for you and me to die. And it just so happens that that gift was not only the gift that God most wanted to give you, but it was the gift that we most need, because in this sinful world that we live, we are separated from God the giver and Christ the gift, and what a horrible place that is. But if you understand God the giver and Christ the gift, then the Holy Spirit, the living water, is yours by being baptized in his name. That Holy Spirit which will transform you day in and day out to live according to God's will. The Holy Spirit which will mature you. The Holy Spirit which will advocate for you as we journey in this life toward heaven. And so the question is the same as it was for that woman at the well. If you knew, you would be compelled to do something about it. So the question is, do you know tonight? Do you know that God loves you that much and that he's done all of that for you? And if you've not done anything about it, then the question is why? It is like a treasure in a field. It is like a pearl of great price. And it's yours. Just like Jesus said to the woman, if you knew you would take of this water. Why would you walk out of here tonight without Jesus in your life? Scripture is very plain. Scripture is very clear. Once you've heard his word and you believe that God is a giver and that he's given you a gift in Christ and that that living water is yours, that you're willing to turn your life around, point it toward God's will, Confess Jesus as your Savior. Be baptized in his name. Why? Why would you walk away from that? I hope as you think about this lesson tonight and as you think about this lesson as this week unfolds that you'll think about your relationship with God. And if there is anything that we can do for you right this very moment as this song is about to be sung or it, tonight at midnight or Tuesday night at 9 o'clock, whatever it might be, God wants you as his first fruit. He has adopted you as sons. He's done all of this for you and me. Why would you walk away from that?
I hope this lesson from Jacob's well, a historic well, eternal truths, will be helpful for you in some way in your journey with God. If we can help you, let it, let it be known as we stand and sing.